happy Labor Day. Kind of hollow ring to that, doesn't it? You know, it's not like happy Thanksgiving or Merry, happy Labor Day. I'm, I'm going to speak for a few moments this morning on something I have never preached about before. It's on a theology of work. I thought, it's Labor Day. Sounds like a good time to talk about work. Labor Day is a strange holiday. Strange in the sense that we call it Labor Day and then we take off work for it. We're all looking forward to tomorrow by not coming to work, and, and so we celebrate Labor Day by doing as little as possible. Uh, Labor Day is unique in the fact that nobody that I know of goes around to their neighbors and wishes them a happy Labor Day. Uh, Cindy and I didn't plan to get special pictures taken for our Labor Day card that we wanted to send out to all of you. Uh, to my knowledge, I don't think I've ever received a happy Labor Day card from any of you. Um, I was checking in the stores this week, couldn't find any decorations for my house. Uh, obviously, my grandkids don't know it's a holiday because they would have put a list of gifts together for us to buy for them <laughs> had they known that Labor Day is a big deal. And obviously, florists and card makers have not yet found a way to capitalize on Labor Day. So, so it's just a weird holiday and so many different things. And for the church, generally, Labor Day is not the one that we set attendance records for, as is evidenced by the services this morning, and I trust that all of you that may not be here are watching online. Happy Labor Day. You should be here today. Um, so annually, we, we recognize Labor Day in our country, and, and it gives us an opportunity of how do we view work? Because our culture looks at work in one of two ways, generally. You're either a workaholic or you are a work avoider. And so I noticed just a couple of bumper stickers that I wanted to, to just make note of because they, they were interesting. One of them that I saw said, work fascinates me. I could watch it for hours. Another one of them said this, hard work may not kill me, but why should I take the chance? And so we, we live in a culture where for some reason there seems to be two ends of the spectrum. Either all you ever do is work or you do your very best to avoid work altogether. And the Bible has a lot to say about work and about how we are to approach it. And I would like to talk to you about that for a few minutes this morning. Father, as we approach your word today, on this Labor Day, I ask that you by your Holy Spirit would begin to bring to us the balance that we need and how to live our lives, and honoring you in everything that we do. Lord, may our work ethic be anointed of you just as we live our life to please you in every way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles with you today or your electronic Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn to 2 Thessalonians, and we're going to be talking about some different passages that come out of this. The third chapter, I'm going to be reading verses 6 through 15. In the name of the Lord Jesus, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, 
We worked night and day, laboring and toiling, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. And as for you, brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Take special note of anyone who does not obey our instructions in this letter. Do not associate with them in order that they may feel ashamed. Yet do not regard them as an enemy, but warn them as you would a fellow believer. I don't know that as we approach this passage of Scripture today that we would fully understand it without just a little bit of the context of what was happening here. In the city of Corinth, as people were coming to Jesus Christ and and giving their lives to Him, they felt that the best way that they could honor God would be to no longer work but do everything they could do to spend all of their time in church. As a result of it, the economy that they were living in was becoming affected, and so Paul had to write to bring to them a theology of work that brings to us today a balance of how do we live as godly people, and how do we work, and where does that fit into it? And so there is a theology of work that is within this passage. There are three important factors that are articulated for us in these verses, and the first one is this, the responsibility to work. In verse 10, it says this, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Let me say right up front that we should never use this verse in relation to those that are ill, in relation to those that are disabled, in relation to those who are old and aged or those who may be temporarily unemployed because of the circumstances that surround their life. There's so many people that we don't know the whole story. So we need to be careful in that. But this verse is referring to is able-bodied people who are able to work and who are of an age to work, but they refuse to work. And Paul is stating that if you're capable and able and you refuse to work, you shouldn't eat. That would change a few things, I would think. You see, if a person misses a few meals, chances are they would get really motivated to get back out there in the workforce and earn a living. And then there's this interesting thought. I find it fascinating that the Bible always associates work and food together. And if you do a little history of that study, here's what you come to understand. The reason it goes together is from the very beginning of creation, God designed man to be a gardener. It says God planted a garden, and he put Adam in it and said, I've planted this, I need you to tend it. And so as a result of that, Adam had everything that he needed to eat as a gardener. But when sin entered the world through the decisions that he and Eve made, God changed the workforce of man to be from a gardener to now they had to be a farmer. Because now, no longer am I planting things for you, now you have to break up the ground. 
Now you have to plant the seed. Now you have to toil and you have to work to produce the food that you eat. I find it interesting that from the very beginning, food and work were connected by our God. In fact, Thomas Edison said this, opportunity is missed by most people because it looks like work. Work, according to Scripture, is God's anti-poverty program. And so there is a responsibility that is given to each of us that as we are able and as we are given strength, and today as we were talking about how much we have to be thankful for, that there are so many opportunities available for us that we need to have the responsibility to work within the theology of what the Word says. And within this responsibility to work, we recognize that there's work in a part of our physical life. Our physical life is sustained and perpetuated because of the work that we do as our livelihood. I found it really fascinating. A few years ago, I came across a list of actual statements that were made on the assessments of people who were having their performance evaluated. These were actual statements of real employees. Let me read these to you and tell me if they're the kind of people you would hire. This employee always does an honest day's work. Unfortunately, it takes him a week to do it. (laughs) This employee works well when under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap. This employee sets low personal standards and then consistently fails to achieve any of them. If you see two people talking and one looks bored, he's the other one. This employee, the gates are down, the lights are flashing, but the train just ain't coming. If this employee were any more worthless, they would have to be watered twice a week. And then this last one. Some drink from the fountain of knowledge. This employee only gargled. <laughs> we, we live in a culture where for whatever reason, laziness seems to be what many people try to pursue. And Paul's words ring out in this theology of work from here. He says this, For even even when we were with you, we set this rule. If a man will not work, he shall not eat. And that relates to work and your physical life. But then there's this aspect of work and your social life. It tells us in 1 Timothy 5, verse 8, where Paul writes, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for those in his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, God expects every able-bodied individual who can work to support his family. We are to provide for them. We are to make sure that they have a home, that they have food, and that they have clothing. And what I am afraid of today is that there is a generation of kids that are growing up that do not realize that there is a value in working and earning and saving and waiting until you can afford what you want. I have had opportunity to meet with 
couples who were about to get married that were graduating from college and coming together. And I remember one couple in particular that was telling me, well, we've got credit cards, so we can't wait to go out and buy all of these things. And I asked them why, and they said, because our parents have given us an expectation of the way that we have lived, and we feel we need to start where they are. I said, they have 35 years on you that they have worked and earned and saved. You don't start there. You start here. And through your own efforts of working together, you build a life. There is the command that we should take care of our families. I shudder because I do believe that we are creating a generation who will never appreciate hard work and who do not understand the work that it took to bring us the nation that they are inheriting today. Part of that is because your grandparents and your parents worked their whole lives and they would often say this to you, I'm working so hard because I want to give you a better life than what I had. Any of you ever hear that? Have any of you ever said that? Here's what results from that. They did such a great job of providing an easier life for each succeeding generation that what we have today is an entitlement attitude of things that have been given to people that they never once had to work for. It's just always been given. And now we are reaping the side effects of a work ethic that died with the generations before us. And the Bible says, let me resurrect that theology of work once again. So we are living in a generation where we hear things of, if I can get something for nothing, I'll do it. You owe me. I deserve this, whether I have worked for it or not. And it has affected work in the social life of our country and of our world. Then there's work in our spiritual life that falls within this category. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, it says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward because it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I want you to understand that there is a spiritual dimension to the work that we do. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment we often think of the judgment being that the better I have obeyed the Lord in my life here, the higher my reward. But clearly the scripture indicates that your work ethic is going to be something that you will be rewarded for. That the harder you work and the better that you do, that our God is taking notes of all of these things. And so when we are creating a theology of work, we need to understand that we are working as unto the Lord. Don't forget that the home of Jesus was the cottage of a working man. He spent a greater part of his life doing work as a carpenter than he did in ministry. And as such, he was doing the Father's work. Work is not unspiritual because Jesus taught us what it means to work. In fact, God has always provided work. God worked. In Genesis 2-2, and on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. God himself was a worker. He appreciates and understands the balance of work and rest, and he created us in his image and gave us work to do. 
God gave Adam work. It says the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. From the very beginning, man was created and given a job. We are at our best when we have something to do. And then Jesus came to the earth, and Jesus honored God by working. In fact, here's how much God loves working people. When Jesus was born, the first people that heard about it were people working the midnight shift in the middle of the field, shepherds, tending their sheep by night. We look at that and say, why did he choose them? Because they were working. They were doing their jobs. Jesus learned the trade as a carpenter. Jesus chose the men that would walk with him as the disciples because they were working men. Peter and Andrew and James and John were fishermen. Matthew was a tax collector. I'm not sure what the other disciples did, but the pattern had been set that Jesus saw something in them because they honored God by working. And so we see from a collection of Paul's instructions about work, and it relates to us in at least three ways, the physical way, the social way, and the moral way by which we can honor God by the way that we work. John Stott captures the essence of work when he writes this. Work is the expenditure of energy, mental, manual, or both, which brings fulfillment to the worker, benefit to the community, and glory to God. He is saying work has a physical, social, and moral benefit that need to be explored in our relationship with God. Secondly, there's the reliability of the worker that is addressed within this. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12, it says, We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. By the way, if you're idle, chances are you're going to be disruptive. Those two things just seem to go together. It says, They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. I am appreciative that when we were singing the songs of Jehovah Jireh, our provider, that we live in a nation where the opportunities to work and to do what God has created us to do are abundant. But there is an aspect of our relationship with God that we need to understand that even the way that he provides for us doesn't mean he gives us things, but he gives us opportunities. The way he provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness was that manna fell, but they had to get out of their tent and they had to go and they had to pick it up themselves. It tells us in Psalm 104, 28, what you gave them, they gathered in. In other words, I will bring the provision, but you have to get out of your tent and go and get it. I also love the fact that after Peter had fished all night and he's out there with his friends, Jesus didn't put the fish in the boat. He put them within reach. And he told them, now cast your net on this side. He didn't remove the work from them. He just provided the opportunity that in the course of what they normally do, he would bring the provision. It's the theology of a work ethic that God says, here's how I'm going to provide for you. So for those of you that may be sitting back saying, I'm waiting for God to come up and have somebody just give me an envelope of money, you have looked at the Scripture wrong as it relates to the ethic of work within Scripture. In fact, ladies and girls, let me tell you this. If a man is lazy, if he has an entitlement attitude, if he is inconsiderate, don't you dare date him. 
And for heaven's sakes, don't marry him because you will not change laziness. Oh, I figured I'd get an amen out of there somewhere. I didn't think I could get anointed preaching about work, but... <laughs> Ephesians 4.8 puts it this way, or 4.28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. I find it interesting that the Scripture here, Paul compares getting things without working for them as if you are stealing from those who are working to provide them for you. That there's a mentality of, if I can get anything for nothing, then I'm stealing it from somebody who is providing that. And he said, steal no more. But you go to work so that you have something that you can provide to those who are in need. Let me just tell you a little bit about the reliability of a contented worker. It tells us in verse 12, it says, settle down or work in quietness. And that, that speaks of the contentment that comes from the Christian worker. In fact, if you go back to verse 11, it says, for we hear that some of you are idle and disruptive, not working, not busy, but are busybodies, disorderly, disruptive, busybodies. This is not a contented person that they are talking about. And so what the Scripture is alluding to here is that there is an attitude by which we approach the way we work. How many of you like being around people with a good attitude? How many of you run from people with a bad attitude? So, in other words, in the theology of work that Paul is demonstrating, he said, to those of us who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we should be the people that everybody wants to work with. Because we come with a contented, good attitude that we recognize that everything we've got has been provided because of the opportunity of God. And that there comes a satisfaction in our life by being able to work. In fact, our attitude as Christians should be that work is not a drudgery but a delight. And so part of our walking with God is, Lord... There may be things in my job that I do not like, but would you help me to approach that in an attitude that honors you? Because I'm going to do it as unto you. I'm going to honor you in the way that I put forth my efforts. And as I'm honoring you, I recognize that you will then strengthen me and help me. So your attitude determines whether or not you are a contented worker. But I also believe that within this ethic that Scripture is talking about, it says that Christians are conscientious workers. It says, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to any of you. And we did this not because we didn't have the right to your help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate Paul was the model of a conscientious worker. He was not disorderly. He was not a freeloader. He didn't eat anyone else's bread free of charge. But the scripture says that he labored and toiled. He was a hard worker. He even worked the night shift because it says he worked night and day laboring and toiling. In fact, then he wrote to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 23, and he says, here's the attitude Whatever you do, do it heartily. 
Whatever you do, do it heartily. That means give it everything you've got. And then he gives us the reason why. Because you are working as unto the Lord and not for men. Now, here's the problem. We often see men's faces and women's faces, and they're the ones that are giving us the instructions. But somehow, within this ethic from Scripture, what the Lord is saying is, I need you to approach your jobs every day knowing that I am the one that is keeping records. And I will reward you for being conscientious and doing the right thing, even if you're surrounded by a bunch of people that won't be an example for what that looks like. Work with integrity. I have found this week a couple of occasions where I was talking to some business owners that were apologizing because of how slow things were. They said it's not a matter of us not getting what we need, it's a matter of us finding employees right now. In fact, you can't drive down the street without seeing help wanted signs everywhere. It's affected our community. It's affected our state. And then I watch as angry people get mad at those who are serving because they're not fast enough. Some of them could be out there working and helping, but instead they're going to affect our community. Let me tell you something. Church, some of the best ways that we can do, the best job that we can do is to show up and do the job and do it to the best of our abilities because we are a testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ and His provision. Martin Luther understood this when he wrote, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. The Scripture says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave, you, where you are going, that's encouraging. I'm sorry, sometimes my mind's... I, I, The angel of the Lord has to guard my mouth, and sometimes I'm faster than he is. <laughs> For in the grave where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. And that leads us to this last piece of the ethic and the theology of work, and that is the respectability of work. Verse 13 says, And as for you, brothers and sisters, Never tire of doing what is good. The fascinating thing about this is the fact that Paul ties together what is good and work. He says working is what is good. And with those words, he lifts the ethic of work out of the secular world and he places it firmly in the spiritual realm. Because he said for all of the Christians, your work, you're doing what is good and you're doing what is right, demonstrates that work comes from a divine perspective. It's not man's idea. It's God's idea. Because work has always been His divine plan. Before Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God's plan for them was that they would enjoy their work. In fact, the Lord took Him and put Him in the garden. He was created for a job. 
And his enjoyment came in walking in obedience from the Lord. And the divine plan was that we would use our energies for something good. And it was in, think about this, in the perfect, sinless state of the perfect environment that God had created, Adam and Eve were to work. And so it would be a serious mistake for us to think that the more godly we are, the less that we do. Their work became much harder after they sinned, but they knew the responsibility of being created for a job. Do you recognize and realize that when we get to heaven, we won't be sitting around like we're on a vacation all the time? I don't know what you think heaven is like, but in Revelation 22, it says this. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was a tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding the fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse but the throne of God, and the Lamb shall be in it, and His servants shall serve Him. When we get to heaven, it'll be the best job you've ever had, but we're going to work. Do you know that work was started by God? Work is anointed by God. Work is desired by God for each of us. Kim, if you'd please come and prepare to play. The first picture that we have in Genesis 1-1 is this. Think about this. In the beginning, God created. Exodus 20 of 11 says this, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them. Do you know that our God is the greatest worker in the universe? We serve a God who works. In his youth, Jesus said this when he was a teenager. Teenagers, listen to this. Jesus said, I must be about my father's business. In other words, I've got a job to do. Later on, he said, my father has been working until now, and I have been working, he tells us in John 5, 17. Near the middle of his ministry, he said this, I must work the works of him that sent me. In John 9, and at the end of his ministry, at the end of his ministry, he said this, I have finished the work that you gave me to do. The point that is being made here is that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have made work respectable. And we live in a culture that tries to tell us that it's not. And I'm here to tell you, church, on this Labor Day, Happy Labor Day. That there is a theology of work that is clearly outlined in Scripture. If you're unhappy with the way life is going for you, go to work. If you're unhappy with the amount of food you have to eat, go to work. It's not that there's no opportunities. And then when you go to work, work with all your heart. Have a great attitude. Greet people with the love of Jesus Christ. Make sure that your boss looks at you and says, I don't know what it is about you, but I wish I had a million of you. Because you're honoring God in everything you do. Would you stand with me this morning? This was not a rah-rah message that everybody's going to get to save to. I know that. This is a Labor Day message. And I don't even know how to close it. 
I am going to ask our prayer team, our ushers, Pastor, if you could please come and just prepare yourself and give. Because when I close this service, if you're here and you need somebody to pray with you this morning, I want, I want them to be available for you. I believe this is one of those messages that you chew on. You, you take it back with you and, and, and you just digest it. I don't want anybody to feel guilty. I just want to encourage you that there is a theology of work and that you honor God and that as we honor God, God brings His blessings because He puts within our reach opportunities. So Father, I pray for your church today on this Labor Day that we're going to celebrate by not going to work tomorrow. And I ask, Lord, that you would just settle within us the theology that Paul talked about, that we are to be the best workers in the world because you live within us, and that everything we do, we do to honor you. So would you bless your people? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You have a great day in the Lord.